We're in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. So you got to flip through all the entry stuff in your Bible about the translation and why they translate certain words a certain way. And then you get to Genesis or in the Hebrew Bible, better sheet. Here we go. Verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. That wasn't meant to be funny, but it was funny. Uh, we're going to pray. He- Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that um, we stand on it. Lord, your word is truth, and that all, th- all things you give to us will produce life and life eternal in us, Lord, through your son, Jesus Christ. So we just thank you now. We pray you open up your word to us. Give us understanding, and we pray this in your name. Amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we're going to just stop there. Tonight, we're only going to deal with this particular verse because there's a a lot packed into this first verse. In fact, we could do many, many sermons on this verse. But we'll just get into some of the the things on this verse. And I hope I'll maybe just open up some things for you to study on your own at home. Next week, we'll get into the... The, the creation days and, and so on of chapter 1. And then we'll, we're going to move a little bit slow through 1 and 2 and 3. But then after that, we'll start picking up a little bit faster pace as we go through here. But when we think about Genesis, the, the Hebrew Bible, the word is uh, bereshit for Genesis. Actually, the, the Greek word is uh, really we get Genesis from the Greek. And that's, that just means origin or beginning. In fact, if you were to read the first verse in Hebrew... This is what it'll say. Bereshit. <clears throat> Bereshit bara et Elohim et. I'm sorry, I gotta move closer here. <laughs> Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashayim vet ha edits. And that's it. But notice the first word is Bereshit. In the beginning, or beginning, really. That's really what it says in Hebrew. But I want you to notice that the first subject of the entire Bible is God, Elohim. And the first time God is revealed to us in Genesis, it's the word Elohim. And we'll be talking about this in a little bit here in the message. But why Genesis? How important is this one particular verse? Well, depending on how you receive this one verse and how well you do with this one verse will determine a lot in your own faith, in your own life and practice as a Christian. This one little verse in the beginning, if you get this one right, you're well on your way to, to a, a, a good Christian life and a, a life that is, uh, that is one in which you know God and have a relationship with him. Um, the Zondervan Encyclopedia of the Bible says this about Genesis. It says, of the many things that could yet be said in praise of the importance of Genesis, one should note especially its rare combination of depth and simplicity. Subjects most vital to men and women involving their deepest needs and aspirations are dealt with in an almost childlike simplicity, which allows the young mind to catch the essence of the divine revelation with comparative ease. Like all inspired scripture, the first book in the series is still the stream through which the lamb can wade and through which the elephant must swim. Very eloquently put in the Zondervan Encyclopedia of the Bible. 
But Genesis is so important, and we just finished Revelation. Revelation is where we're going to. And, of course, we just finished it. But Genesis is, is that book in which we're going to receive so many answers about life from. A lot of those why questions. In fact, why does anything at all exist? Genesis. That's where we start finding that answer. Why is there evil in the world? Genesis. That's where we're going to find the answer. As we start to ask these questions about life and actually some of those ultimate questions in life, we're going to see these answers pop up in Genesis. But Genesis is meant to lead us to Jesus Christ. That's where we're going that's, to, that's where it all will end up in Jesus Christ. So we'll be getting through Genesis and looking at all this, but understand that Genesis is the book in which God creates, man sins, God chooses one man to bring the, the, the man without sin through his line, Abraham. And, and so we'll see that. Now, who wrote the book of Genesis? The book of Genesis, uh, it, we really don't know who actually the human author is. We know that the divine author is God uh, himself, and God's spirit is the inspiration through which it's written. But as far as the human author goes, what we go with is kind of tradition. And tradition says Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible, or we also call it the Pentateuch. And um, some, some think that Moses had a collection of writings and kind of put them together. Others think that Moses was up on Sinai and God gave him all these words to write for the first five books of the Bible. And inspired him up there, giving him the creation account and so on. Whether it was passed orally or not, we, that we do not know. But there's so many different types of literature found in this book. I mean, there's poetry, there is narrative. I mean, we're going to find all, all manners of literature in the Bible in this one book. So it, it's actually going to be a really exciting journey as we get through this book of Genesis. Now, most people, when they start reading through the Bible, they get through, usually they get through most of Genesis before they bail out. Some get through all of Genesis and they start belling out right at the end of Leviticus when you start getting the law. Or, or sorry, at the end of Exodus. And, and of course, if you made it through the genealogies and so on, you're doing really good. We're going to be talking about why genealogies as we go through Genesis. Why are these important? Now, we're going to probably cruise through them pretty quickly because we, we're going to be moving through Genesis. But I want you to realize that depending on how you receive Genesis is going to develop your hermeneutic or the way you study and interpret and apply the Bible for the rest of the book. If your tendency is to think that Adam is just Adam and Eve are just figures, figureheads or figurative for all of mankind, you're going to end up having all sorts of problems when you get to other passages in the Bible where they talk about Adam and Eve. Where, they, where Jesus himself talks about Adam and Eve or quotes back to, the, or the New Testament quotes back to Adam and Eve. And you, you'll have many, many problems in knowing why we need a sinless Savior and where sin originally came from in me if you don't have an original Adam and Eve, that original man which we've inherited sin from. And of course, we today now have the biggest probably cultural clash with the book of Genesis is science. And I want to tell you something. First of all, there is no clash between science and the Bible. There's no clash at all. There is clash between scientists and the Bible, but not between science and the Bible. And we have to understand those two are different. Just because a person has a PhD or a person teaches biology at a high school 
or whatever the case, does not mean they know everything about the universe, okay? We're going to just get that right out there. In fact, scientists have been known to be wrong. I read a study uh, from, that came out of Stanford University that I thought was very interesting. If, if you've had a biology class uh, in, in high school, you would be familiar a little bit with carbon dating and the half-lives of, of uh, isotopes and how we use that to date how old something is especially something that's somewhat ancient. Well, an uh, interesting study that came out of Stanford was they were perplexed because they were using isotopes, radioactive isotopes, to generate random numbers so they could uh, continue studying something. I, I, I know that sounds like, why, can't you just make up a number, one, two, three? Well, anyway, they were using these isotopes. Well, all of a sudden they started having problems because the numbers were changing on them and what they thought was going to be the constant was no longer the constant. They couldn't figure it out. They were trying to figure out why is our constant changing. And they came to the conclusion that every time there was a solar flare off the sun, their radioisotopes were changing. So wait a minute, the constant's not a constant. How do we, what do we do with that? That was a study that came out of Stanford. Scientists can be wrong. So let's not get to this point where we think scientists know all about everything. And unless you wear a white coat and you're in a lab and call yourself a scientist, uh, I, you know, I'm not sure you know what you're talking about. So there is no battle between God and science. But I also want to say this. Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 2 are not scientific accounts of creation. So let's not mix that up either. Now, I believe them to be literal and true, and we'll get into this more and more as we go. But don't think that Genesis 1 and 2 are meant there for us to understand the molecular structure of a star. Okay? That's not what they're saying. In fact, we're not going to get mathematical equations in Genesis 1 and 2. It's there for us to know the beginning. And, and I'll tell you right now, verse 1 says it all. It sums up all of chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, so don't, let's not look at Genesis and go, okay, well, if it's, if, if it's not in Genesis, then we can't study it. No, no. God, I think it, the wonderful thing about God's creation is we get to continue studying it. And you know what the Bible says about as we study the creation? It's going to point to God, to the creator. So science will always lead us to creation. Some scientists will lead us away from God. I'm sorry, science will always lead us to the creator, not the creation. It will lead us to, as we, as we study the creation, it will lead us to the creator. Some scientists will lead us away from the creator. And, and that's just what we have to realize when we, when we get into this issue of science and, and um, theology and how they work together. But also understand that science is not finished yet. It's not finished. In fact, we're still trying to study things. I find it interesting that as we talk about evolutionary theory, and of course in churches you'll hear us say evolutionary theory. In high schools and colleges you'll hear the uh, evolution, the fact, not theory, because we, we, uh, we very much differ on that. But as we talk about things like evolutionary theory, Genesis 1 is going to throw out that whole idea. In fact, as we get into it, Genesis 1 will not allow us even to be a, a, uh, a, 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 I'm sorry, I forgot. <laughs> the, um, it will not, us, not even allow us to believe in a theistic evolution. That means God kicks off all of evolution. 
No, we're going to see that everything is a special creation of God. And so we'll get into this. So Genesis is God's revelation to himself, uh, of himself to you and me. That's the first thing I want you to realize tonight as we look at in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's his revelation to you and me. Wait, wait, didn't we just do revelation? Well, yeah, we did revelation of Jesus Christ concerning the end of all things, the end of the earth and the new heavens and the new earth. We, we just finished that. But Genesis is so that you and I would know who the creator is. Because when sin entered this world, we became, we began to exchange the truth of God for a lie. And we traded the, the, the truth of the unchanging, immortal, necessary, self-existent God creator of all for images made to look like created things. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God existed prior to creation. First thing I want you to know about this verse. This, this verse is, in the beginning, God. He created. When it says heavens and earth in this passage, that's talking about all creation. But the first thing we have to realize is that God already existed. He is the self-existent one. Now, the Sunday school question, the question that everybody asks, even my little four-year-old Lucy is asked, well, where did God come from? And I'm like, oh, Lucy. <laughs> oh, Lucy. You little heretic, let me tell you. So... Um, <laughs> If you've been with us in the past, Lucy always says great stuff. But, but when, I, uh, when I talk to Lucy, I'm like, Lucy, don't you understand that God is self-existent, necessary, omnipotent, omniscient? Don't you understand that it would be impossible for God to not exist? Now, how many of you guys picked up on everything I said? Okay, some of you, yeah. But the idea there is that there, God had no creator. In fact, he wouldn't be God. If, if God could come into existence, we wouldn't call him God. Because he, he is already in existence, always has existed, because he, he doesn't need anyone to bring him into existence, he is God, a maximally great being. So it's a really important idea to understand that, that the God of the Bible is a, a God who is self-existent. Now, compare Genesis 1-1 to all the different creation myths around the world. I mean, just like, take, for instance, the Greek creation myth. Um, out of the void came, out of the void came uh, Gaia, Earth, and the, the few other ones that were with them, uh, uh, Tartarus and... Um, I can't remember the other one. But out of this void, they, these gods come, and then, and then Gaia births Uranus randomly, and, and Uranus and Gaia start having kids together. They have the Titans, and then, and then of course, Cronus kind of takes over everything, kills everybody, and then, and then Cronus starts having kids, and Cronus starts realizing, wait a minute, my kids might do to me what I did to my parents, and so I'm going to start eating my kids, and then Gaia, t or, uh, 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 who was, sorry, Zeus is, or uh, Cronus' wife says, oh, I'm going to hide away my son Zeus. And then Zeus ends up killing or bounding up Cronus and the rest of the Titans and so on. Uh, and that, that's the creation myth of the Greeks. And then, of course, every, every culture under the sun has some sort of creation myth. But notice the simplicity of the truth of the creation. In the beginning, God created everything. Simple. But at the same time, Marvelous and powerful. I mean, when we think about power, what do we think about? We, we talk about the President of the United States, the most powerful man in the world, right? At least that's a term we use for the, the one who's sitting in, 
in that chair in the Oval Office. And why is he the most powerful man in the world? Because he can go to war. He can turn on the war machine in the United States. He, we can impose our will upon any other country in the world. We can launch nuclear weapons. We can, I mean, that's why we call the, the President of the United States the most powerful man in the world. Because he has power to what? To destroy. He has power to impose his will through destruction. That's what, when we talk about power and kings, that's really what we're talking about. We're either talking about wealth. Sure, they can build all sorts of great buildings, but... What is really feared, it's their armies. But when we talk about God, he has the power to create from nothing. That is the power of God. In Colossians 1.17, speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Without God... We could not even exist. God is keeping our existence happening. At any moment, God could simply just say no, and we would cease to exist. Not only does he speak it into existence, but he maintains it the whole time. That is power. The word God here is Elohim, and Elohim, and we'll see this throughout the Genesis account up until he begins to reveal himself differently, But Elohim, he's going to reveal himself to Adam as Adonai. We're going to get a new word for the name of God. But Elohim is kind of an interesting word in Genesis. And Hebrew scholars have wrestled with this word for a while because they're not sure why it appears plural when referring to God. Why does does this word Elohim show up plural yet when it says, let us make man in our image or when it speaks about God creating, the verb is singular but the noun is plural, and they, they kind of are always kind of trying to figure out why this is that way. And, and some have said that, it, well, I think it's really just to try to be able to express his majesty, that, that God is full of majesty, and that's a way. However, I find it also really interesting that throughout the Bible when it refers to a false god or Baal or Dagon, the god of the uh, Philistines, it refers to them in the singular. It'll use the same word Elohim for God because it's just the Hebrew word for God. But it'll always be singular in reference to a false God versus it's always plural in reference to the true living God, Elohim. And I think it's just that little peek at the Trinity, at, at God in three persons. Right here in the very opening words of Genesis, God is letting us know that he is... In, in Trinity, not, um, it's not just one person, but three persons in one being. So we, we have this, this neat, neat uh, revelation of God through the words. And, of course, through the rest of the Bible, God is going to spend time helping us understand that more and more and more. Obviously, with the advent of Jesus Christ, we're going to understand it to a whole new level. God created the heavens and the earth. Not only is God the first subject, but it also tells us that he created everything. Now, let me just give you a little argument for the existence of God. When we look at the natural universe, the physical universe, we, we recognize that there's a lot of things going on. There's matter, there's time, and there's, there's space. But space is not nothingness. Space is still the vacuum. It's something. 
Okay, and so we have all the matter within the universe and we have time itself in existence. And when we say that God created the heavens and the earth, we're saying that, that he created everything, not just starting from something. In fact, the word bara in Hebrew means to create anew, to, to make something new, to, to start with nothing, to, to just make it all new, brand new. And, and so... It's telling us here that God started, he spoke it into being. In fact, Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What? What kind of power is that? God speaks and it comes into being. It's a whole new level. It's not God taking what already exists and recreating it. So when we talk about the universe, the secular person... Our culture wants us to think that the universe has just kind of always existed. And, and that, that the universe just kind of continued on in, in infinitely. And it goes into the past infinitely and it's going to go into the future infinitely. However, the laws of the universe are showing something very different. What we're seeing is that the universe is actually winding down. It's like there was a clock that was started. And slowly but surely, eventually all the energy within this universe will burn up and go out. Our sun will grow cold and dark. And everything within all life in this universe and all energy eventually will just run out. That's what science actually tells us. So how could it possibly have gone on infinitely? In fact, going even a step further, we have the theory of the Big Bang. And I was talking with somebody this morning. And uh, they, they, were, they had been having a conversation with somebody about the Big Bang and Unfortunately, sadly, the Big Bang has been hijacked by evolutionary theory. And what I mean by that is that the Big Bang doesn't prove evolution to be true. In fact, the Big Bang has nothing to do with evolution at all. I want to get that, that, that fact out there right now. The Big Bang is all about showing an origin point in the universe. The, the, what the Big Bang is saying is that at some point, boom, the universe came into existence. Now, it doesn't say anything about God one way or the other. Of course, the original founders of the, or, uh, the ones who proposed the Big Bang Theory were actually Christians. And, the, and, and really, the Big Bang Theory is, is a model that, that goes right here with Genesis. In the beginning, God created. God spoke it forth into existence. It doesn't take away. It doesn't set forth evolutionary theory. It just means that there was at one point an origin to our universe, that it came into being, not just infinitely existing. In fact, when you start to think about it, it would be impossible for this universe to even exist infinitely. What I mean by that is whatever begins to exist has a cause, right? The universe began to exist so therefore, the universe has a cause. Now, we need to understand what that cause is. And Genesis 1.1 tells us it's God. He, bara, he created. But to have an infinite regress of past events would just absolutely be impossible to ever arrive at today. Let me see if I can make this simple for you. I don't know if I can, but I'm going to try. If we went into infinite past, or let me, let me actually, I'll give you the, the, uh, the illustration that Hilbert gave of his hotel, the famous mathematician. He said, suppose you had a hotel and you came up to this hotel and, and, uh, and it said uh, vacancy and you could come in and, and, and get a room and uh, it had 100 rooms. Well, great, there's 100 rooms. And, and say 100 people came into this hotel, 
how much vacancy would there be? There'd be no vacancy, right? All the rooms are full. Well, let's say, for instance, this hotel, your hotel, has an infinite number of rooms. And you had 100 people come in and check out a room. How many rooms do you have left? You have an infinite, right? You still have an infinite. Well, let's say, for instance, an infinite number of people came and they checked in to your hotel. And, and, and you, you, you were full for the night. But say someone else came and said, hey, I, I'd like to re- uh, get a room for the night. And they say, okay, well, no problem. Well, I'll just move everybody in the odd rooms up one room, and then there, now I have an infinite number of rooms left. Wait, that doesn't make sense. How does that work? If you're even having a hard time tracking that right now, well, it's because it doesn't make sense how you can just all of a sudden magically have more room. But if you have an infinite, it makes sense. In fact, let's say, for instance, all the odd people checked out for the night. They all checked out. How many rooms are full and infinite? Because the evens are still there. You see, a real infinite doesn't make sense because a real infinite is a way to describe something that we just can't count or more likely what we don't want to count or what we cannot fathom. Something so big that we cannot grasp it, so we say infinite. It's a descriptive word. But if we started out with Day one in infinite past, and we began to say, okay, this is six point, or sorry, what are we up to, 14 billion years now for the creation of the universe, what, what uh, secular science tells us. And uh, if we start out with 14 billion years old for, for the universe, whatever it is, and we have 14, negative 14 billion, and we, we, or we go back 14 billion years, and we go, okay, now we got one year, one year. And we arrive at today, and today we're at 14 billion years. What's tomorrow? 14 billion and one. And the next day is 14 billion and two. And the next day is 14 billion and three. So eventually you arrive at a counting point. So it's just absolutely impossible because you can never arrive at today if we just said, oh, it just existed forever indefinitely, the universe did. No, it didn't indefinitely exist. But I'll tell you who did exist, God. God, the self-existent one. The necessary being. God has always existed. The universe has not always existed. And the universe has no power to create. The universe has no power to put together, to give life, to take life. The universe is just part of the makeup of God's creation. And this is what Genesis 1.1 gives us that information. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Revelation 4.11, worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. One day a group of scientists got together and decided that a, a man had come a long way and no longer needed God. So they picked one scientist to go and tell him that they were done with him. The scientist walked up to God and said, God, we, we've decided that we no longer need you. We're to the point where we can clone people and do many miraculous things. So why don't you just go on and get lost? God listened very patiently and kindly to the man. And after the scientist was done talking, God said, very well, how about this? Let's say we have a man-making contest to which the scientist replied, okay, great. But God added, now we're going to do this just like I did back in the old days with Adam. And the scientist said, sure, no problem. And he bent down and grabbed himself a handful of dirt. And God looked at him and said, no, 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 no. You go get your own dirt. (laughs) 
See, we can get pretty confident about what we can do. But the fact is, is we're not just talking about recreating something in a lab and starting with a lab with the electrical, uh, with the electricity hooked up and the people there. We're talking about creating something from nothing, not from space. Now, I'm not saying that, that I can completely comment on these things because my field is not science. I'm not a scientist. But I will say this. The word of God will always lead us to truth. And so we should never say, well, my biology teacher or my biology professor told me this, so therefore that must be true. No, no, no. Trust the word of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. And recognize that sometimes our teachers are speaking beyond even their scope of knowledge. Genesis leads us to Jesus. That's the last point I want to make in, in this passage. Je- Jesus said this. He said, for if you believed in Moses, you would believe in me. For he wrote of me, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? John 5, 46 and 47. This book is so vital for us to believe Jesus and to lead us to Jesus. Without Genesis, we don't have Adam. We don't have Eve. We don't have creation. We don't have God. So I want to encourage you Christians those of you who have maybe been convinced by this world to start giving up on the creation account or start thinking that the creation account is something that, oh, well, that's nice. It's nice poetry, but I don't really have to buy into it. Don't do that with the word of God. Recognize that the word of God always speaks truth and that God will not lie. And although these truths don't comment on exactly how God created the heavens and the earth, well, of course, later on in the Bible we see that he spoke it into existence. But although it doesn't give us the speed of life at light at the time of creation, or it doesn't answer some of these other questions that we ask ourselves about, about our universe, today, our physical universe today. Don't give up onto it, on it. Because it is this book that will start leading us to Christ. Because this book is about the reconciliation of his creation to himself. That's what it's about. It's about God. It always has been, always will be. And you and I are the ones who are lost, not God. God isn't lost. He's not going, oh, man, I, I don't know which way he's up now. Oh, man, those scientists, I wish, I, wish I, I would have had one of those with me when I was creating so they could tell me what to do right. I, uh, one day a zookeeper, when he was cleaning up in the morning and feeding the monkeys, and um, he, he uh, saw a very peculiar sight. He saw a monkey reading two books. One was the Bible and one was Darwin's Origin of the Species. And surprise, he asked the monkey, why are you reading both these books? Well, said the monkey, I just wanted to know if I was my brother's keeper or my keeper's brother. You might have to think about that one. So, (laughs) but (laughs) listen, one of the things we're going to see in Genesis as we get into it is not only did God create everything, and it's a special creation, but he created you differently from the animals. We'll get into that in the creation, that you are a different creation than the animals. Now, animals are special and they're a gift from God. We, my family and I, we've been watching this series, Africa, on Netflix. And I, partly we turn it on because, man, it will put you to sleep. It's just like, oh, you know. Uh, but, uh, but it's just beautiful images and it just goes through Africa. and it, 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 It's uh, just a really neat, neat series on, on Netflix. But we've been watching this series and it's just so wonderful. But you know what? As marvelous as these animals are, you're the one that Jesus died for. 
you're the one that needs redemption. You, you and I are the ones who have the sin issue. You and I were created in the image of God. And, uh, and once we start to understand that, we start to realize not only do we have a responsibility to care for our planet and take care of it and all those things that conservationists want us to do, but we also have an even greater responsibility to worship the one who created it all. We have, a, we have a, a not only a responsibility but a need to worship him. Sadly, the world mistakes that need for a relationship with God for uh, just spirituality, spirituality. You can go to the, the rim of the Grand Canyon. And, I mean, when you stand at the Grand Canyon, you're just like, wow, it's grand. You know, there's no other word to describe it. It's just amazing. And you can feel very spiritual. But that's just your heart crying out for the creator. That's just recognizing there's something so much greater than you. And you're separated from him. When we're in Christ, when we've been reconciled to our creator, when we've been made not only a friend of God, but a child of God, we stand at the Grand Canyon and say, oh God, you're marvelous. Oh God, you are amazing. You created it all. You spoke it into existence. When we look up at the stars, our heart turns to praise and worship of him. It's a totally different viewpoint about the world when we're reconciled with our creator. I want to encourage you, if you believe Moses, you would believe in Jesus. For he wrote of me, but if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe my words? As we get moving into Genesis and the next weeks, I want to encourage you to believe God's word to be true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, that in the beginning you were there. You were the constant. You were the powerful one. You were the one who needs no one. But, Lord, you love us. You created us. And we just thank you so much, God, for for showing your power not only in the creation and in this universe, but more so in your redemption of us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we just look forward to reading your word. Help us not to forsake one, one jot or tittle of your word, but help us to read it, believe it, and to do it. We thank you, Lord. I pray your blessing be on this congregation now as... Uh, as we continue our worship, and we ask this in your name. Amen.